0: You are listening to the, the. voice of Ahlul Sunnah Wal-Jamaah. SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, I'm <tir> a توجه الله الله الملك القدوس السلام من Heavenly Father, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son
1: Tasha Muhammad, La Muhammad Rasulullah Wa wa Peace and blessings and greetings to you from the best of Islam. In the best manner that Islam can greet you, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Peace and felicitations be on you and all of your loved ones this beautiful day. Alhamdulillah Allah Ta'ala has presented us with another day wherein which we can glorify Him. And He has made us for no other reason than to worship Him. We're not here on earth for anything else. We're not here on earth for cars or clothes or houses or friends or girlfriends. We're here on this earth to worship Allah. No other reason are we here to see which of us are going to remember, which of us will be the best and who are the ones that will forget. A beautiful Juma afternoon. Yeah. yeah, we have those famous South African blue skies above us. Lovely cotton wool, white clouds scudding across the sky. Sun beating down. Every now and then there's a green leaf that is still showing you a little bit of summer, a little bit of life but the leaves the leaves have fallen of many of the trees and uh, they stand now bare with their branches all skinny and scrawny reaching up towards the sky stark and black silhouetted against the sky Yes, winter is here. It's the time of uh, the year where, ooh, the nose seems to have a little bit of frost on it, you know, sticking out with the blankets in the early morning. Oh, and it's so difficult, you know, how once uh, you've made your fudgel and uh, you settle down with your wife and made a cup of tea and and you start planning what you're going to be doing for the day and you're kind of like huddling over your cup of tea, looking out of the kitchen window at the, the sun outside. That doesn't seem to be doing anything in terms of heat. And, And you can kind of feel the cold kind of like beaming out of the walls. It's like, I know cold air is supposed to sink, but you can kind of like feel the cold air rising up out of the floor. Hmm oh boy and if you made the mistake of not putting your slippers on and uh, yeah, you know there's that 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 battle that happens every winter between your feet and the floor you stand there like maybe after you've come out of the shower or something like that you're nice and warm and your skin is tingling and uh oh, oh you can feel your feet you can feel the heat seeping out of your body through the soles of your feet into that uh, that uh, imperturbable imperturbable floor of yours, and that cares for nothing but coldness, coldness, coldness throughout the winter, ah, oh, colder than a murderer's heart, is your floor, your kitchen floor in the winter time, and you sit there in the morning, you don't put your slippers on, and you can feel the cold, just, just like making its way up your bones, you know, you can feel like that heel bone is transmitting a direct freezing current all the way through to your brain, and, and you kind of find yourself kind of slowly, like, sort of moving back into the bedroom, and climbing back into bed, and admitting defeat, and pulling the blankets up over your head again, oh, time is here, oh Allah, give us the strength to read the Quran in the morning, to greet the sun, and to greet the lovely, beautiful day that you've given us, what the sounds of the quran what a beautiful sound it is the best in the world yeah mm, friday well weekend is here hopefully two days of rest ahead of us well you know remember remember it's not part of islam mm, to take two days of rest don't give up your don't give up your ibadah on the weekend uh, It can always be so tempting hmm no, don't give it up. Don't give it up. And may my ears be the first to hear my words, closest as they are to my mouth. 3.40 in the afternoon it is. And lots of news happening around the world, I must say. I'm, I'm glad to see uh, the trade unions are expressing disquiet and disgust at a uh, corruption-plagued ANC ruling party. Mm, the most corrupt party in South African history. I don't think there's ever been anyone as corrupt as the ANC. Yeah, even during apartheid, I mean, I know the whole of apartheid was corruption. Everything about it, the whole idea, stank from top to bottom. Uh, but, you know, when you come to replace something, it stinks from top to bottom. And then it turns out that, you know, the philosophy that you bring with yourself is just as dirty. Then uh, you've replaced... Uh, Dirty dishwater with excrement. Really, you know. It's a sad indictment on my generation. Hmm? Sell-out generation. Is that what we're going to be known as? The people who were alive when uh, we overturned apartheid. And what did we do? Sold it out. huh? All of those hopes. 400 years of oppression. 400 years of oppression. And what do we replace it with? Jacob Zuma. Jacob Zuma. Ah, yeah. I wonder if we actually have a government in South Africa, or if everyone is just content nowadays to kind of like pretend, you know? Yeah, in some ways, I must say, you know, um, there's a, a, a good thing. There's a there's a silver lining to the ANC's corruption. Mm, yeah, I know. It's an ill wind that blows nobody any good. They say. There is a silver lining to the ANC's corruption. You take uh, the the, the um, intelligence lacking philosophy of Jacob Zuma of radical economic transformation, which basically, you know, I mean, a guy was raised to herd cattle, and that's it. You know, he's got a standard four. The guy's got a standard four. He can't even like read out a number that's more than. Got three digits in it, and he was the president of the country. So, when you put in, you know, an an uneducated um, rural hick like Jacob Zuma into your presidency, uh, if he's not a man of good moral character, which we all know Jacob Zuma doesn't have any real moral character, uh, he's going to sit there. Especially as he came into the presidency, as he did under persecution from his predecessor, Thabo Mbeki. You know, Thabo Mbeki tried to put together an arms deal and uh, uh, a money supply for for the ANC. Um, that was basically uh, hijacked by Jacob Zuma and his lot. And uh, well, then you had the you know you had all herd being pulled in. All the town councils all around South Africa after Jacob Zuma came into power. who replaced, with Mbekiites were replaced with Zumaites. But it was more than like, you know, one faction and another faction. The ANC is a cannibalistic party. Uh, party of cannibals is the ANC. You see, one incoming ANC um, administration, Charles, the previous ANC administration, and completely obliterates and gets rid of and destroys everything that it did before So it was like, you know, the Mandela years, uh, the Kodesa promise and all of that and implementing programs had all kinds of people, you know, thinking of the Mandela philosophy who came in trying to put programs together, getting together with private sector, getting projects up and running and all of that kind of thing. Zuma came in and all of that was cut off at the knees. The entire momentum of the Mandela years were lost when Zuma came in. Well, I sort of went back to 1948, basically. All that progress that we made in those years was completely destroyed, thrown away. And it was the loss of that momentum which is the biggest loss that our South Africa suffered as a result of Jacob Zuma and the whores that followed him into government.
0: Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's extremely, you know, I mean, I I don't know if that is something our country is ever going to be able to recover from. Jacob Zuma with his Standard 4 education came in and he said, Ah, this system, this system is evil. We must get rid of this thing, this abomination. We must destroy it. If you can't beat the system, you must eat the system. So that's what yeah, that's basically Jacob Zuma's philosophy. If you can't beat the system, eat the system. So that's what basically Jacob Zuma tried to do. He sat down and tried to chow. He tried to chow and chow and chow. And then the chow was just too big for him. Hey, man, you know, all those Gaddafi millions as well coming in. He knew he couldn't eat it all himself, so he had to call in all of his friends. Hey, and you know, as soon as those friends started coming in, uh, well, then the doors, the doors were broken down and uh, the flow has never stopped. So we see now today hmm, this very sad um, corpse, I suppose you can call it, uh, that we think of as the ANC, this rotting, putrescent corpse that kind of like, you know, takes up space and doesn't do anything else. Um, Jacob Zuma was in actual fact quite correct when he said that the system is an abomination it's a pity, you know, if he had actually had um, confidence in himself, in his organic personality, as the light has created him, he actually had enough tools at his disposal in order to be able to discern a way forward. He actually had all the tools available. As he didn't need a metric or a degree or anything like that. He just needed basic respect for humanity. Because you see, the system that uh, we have here in South Africa is a system which is built on prodigality, on waste. It is built on breaking family ties. It is built on encouraging people to leave home and to go and make a life on their own. Hmm? Yeah, to break the family ties, to listen to that pride that is always in our hearts because Shaitan is always there whispering, whispering, whispering. Like, no, you can do it better than this. Leave these losers behind. Look at that. Look at the family problems that you have every day. Same problem over and over and over again. These guys are holding you back. Really, you know, you know those friends you made at university? You can make a good business venture with those guys. Come on, go out. Go make friends with the strangers. Break your family ties. Go and build a fantastic company that no one's ever seen. You're going to be the next Jeff Bezos. You're going to be the next Bill Gates. Hmm? The next Elon Musk. You're going to go out and build a fantastic um, empire all on your own. And give nothing back to those who raised you. Give nothing back to your ancestors, ancestral ties, those things that your your great-great-grandfathers were hoping for you. Turn your back on all of that. That's what the formal economy is, a prodigal economy based on the breaking of family ties. Because, of course, there's no other way in which you can build class. Class formation only happens when people break their family ties. Only when people have broken their family ties everywhere do you get a huge big mass of individuals that have got no real organizational ties, no means of... um, Organizing themselves on a mass basis. Of course, that's what family is. That's what clan does, you know. And so they need to turn to the corporate sector uh, in order to find the support that's necessary to get through life, you know. The corporate sector says yes, because the corporate sector wants us to, wants to encourage us to break our family ties, you know, to come to us as individuals. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of catches in the rye out there waiting to grab our children as they come out into the corporate sector. Yes, no, I want to, like, you know, uh, build a, a strong division in the bank. Never before has the loan, loan bad loans reclaim section in, in this bank ever had a director like I'm going to be. Hmm? Our children go out there and um, sort of start doing the psychopathic work on behalf of the 1%. Do nothing for their family, do nothing for their family ties, do nothing for any kind of like family business that they might be. And they contribute to the one percent, to the Rothschilds, the um, Oppenheimers, the uh, Ramapozas. Hmm. Yeah, Ramaphos is building himself up as a one percenter. Definitely him and his uh, brother-in-law Patrice. Hmm grabbing hold of uh, 5G as soon as they could with rain. Mm. You can see all of that happening. You can kind of like see with their links to um, uh, green energy that uh, that's going to be the way ESCOM is going to go as well. You know, eventually, when like all the World Bank loans have leveled everything off and the IMF have come through and given us some restructuring programs for our economy, you know, eventually... When all of the ANC corruption has been hidden beneath a, a field of cement, hard-dried concrete, and then we're going to be able to move forward according to the World Bank's philosophy, according to the dictates and the interests of Baron Rothschild back in England. You know, he's got Trevor Manuel there, he's man on point in South Africa, good old Trevor Manuel. Yes, well, I suppose, you know, Trevor Manuel does indicate, in many ways, the direction our country is going. Baron Rothschild is waiting to take over. Mm, Yes, well, and uh, in many ways, this uh, lockdown that we're having is a major, giant step towards that society that they would like to see. Fourth industrial revolution. People no longer needed on the factory floor. Yeah, free to stay at home and rot on the the, the, pass, the pass and cold charity that comes from government. Mm, we're going to be able to, all, all of us, be on a government pension once the government has grabbed all of the pension money. Yes, yes, no, they were already making noises about it before we went into lockdown. They were already lining it all up, you know. They needed a recapitalization plan for ESCOM, and the government didn't have any money. So they were already starting to prepare the pension fund industry uh, for a major looting. Yeah, and now we have VBS bank saga, and suddenly, like, you know, two of the most rotten apples that fell from that particular tree have now been reinstated in the ANC. It's nice to see the South African National Municipal Workers' Union is complaining about it. Cassata is also complaining about it. And they're warning if the ANC isn't clever, it could be taken over by people who are only pursuing their narrow interests. It's already happened. I'm sorry. You guys are in denial. Its understandable that there would be in denial I mean they are they are also part of the corporate veil. Cassati is as much part of the um, formal economy as anglo american you know it's part it's an institution that makes life a little bit more bearable you know and uh, and and that thing the need you know the exposed uh, nature of the individual. You know, you're supposed to try and outwit an army of economists working for the banks whose only job it is to take money out of your pocket. You're going to outwit them all. Yes, you know, no, you're going to manage your family budget. You're going to get it right all on your own. You're going to be the one genius in the whole of human history that's going to be able to make the prodigal prodigal, uh, rule book work for yourself. It doesn't. It's not going to work. You know, even if you get your empire built up, you're going to find yourself an old man without any loved ones. You're going to find yourself with a family that hates you. Yeah, you're you're going to find yourself with no time for your children. You're going to find yourself on your deathbed um, desperately battling for breath in your ICU unit. No one to look over you. No one to bid you farewell. And unless, and of course, it's the accountant who's over there to make sure that you're really dead when you draw your last breath. So he can uh, confirm that, yes, now you can uh, start dispersing the will. Hmm. That's the kind of life he's heading for as an individual who breaks his family ties and joins the swim of the class. Just another little sardine being chased by the dolphins and the sharks. What is needed for this country, Jacob Zuma, should have been able to tell by himself with just his four, four, standard for education. What we need is for the clan, the extended family economy, to replace the nuclear family economy. the extended family economy, where you have organization. Uh, you have critical mass, you have numbers, and you can organize in numbers according to your family, according to people you know, not according to the dictates of an organization whose uh, hierarchy has been hijacked in um Uh, Board meetings behind closed doors where people arrive with, uh, you know, all of their proxy votes uh, collected from all the docile people who don't come to board meetings and uh, all the decisions, all the main decisions that the board meeting have been made before the board meeting even starts. Two or three individuals have got all of their proxy votes behind them and they're going to move it in the direction they want to move it. That's how it works, and that's why Kasatu is never going to be able to um, hold the ANC accountable. Because, just like the ANC, apartheid is another corporate veil, hiding the identity and the evil machinations of the 1%. And we open ourselves up to all kinds of, um, of superstition when we move out of the clan, you know. We start looking at superstitions, like, uh, we, we, we start needing, start, start needing to find a basis for commonality with strangers, you know, I saw saw a movie a few years ago, I was visiting, uh, family, and, uh, this, uh, family sat down you're wanting to talk to people and suddenly the tv set is on and this movie came on called the lobster with matt damon in it and it was this idiotic story about how how young couples were being brought to a hotel and where they had to uh, find um Uh, sources of commonality with the opposite sex in order to get married and they had a month to get married and to find a basis of commonality with a member of the opposite sex and if they didn't get married within a month they'd be taken to a room and they'd be turned into a lobster. Yeah. So um, people started getting together they had to write things about what I do now, like one person says, I, I get regular nosebleeds. Um, I like reading books. I like listening to the radio. I like walking in the park. And then they put that into the list, and then they go to all of the other people and try to find people who've got the same things. And then there's this one guy who's like falls in love with a girl with the uh, with the bleeding nose, and so he starts smashing his nose against the wall so that he can say, "Oh, I also get my nosebleeds." And so now they've got a reason for commonality, and they can get married. And uh, as the story goes on, you know it gets more and more ridiculous, like this is the basis for our marriage. Um, well, I like walks in the park, I also like walks in the park and um you know, and basically, really, you know, as the movie goes on, you suddenly realize this is in actual fact this is culture rituals in the West. This is nuclear society courtship rituals, and the reasons that they come for why we must join together and get together in marriage are so ridiculous that it's no wonder that so many marriages are falling apart in our society, you know. Oh, that 60% of all marriages end in divorce in South Africa. It's a terrible statistic. And I mean, you know, there's a a tale of child woe written into that number. You know, children who didn't have their fathers, children who didn't have their mothers, children who were displaced from auntie to uncle because the mother was struggling and the father has disappeared. Hmm? And we wonder why we become so good at producing psychopaths in our country. We need to move to an organic society based on extended family connections. Um, Extended family connections. We need to end this nuclear family society. It must come to an end. Jacob Zuma was right in that regard. But you're going to have to do more than just stealing money, Jacob. Jacob, you must go to jail. You must go to jail. Main reason why? Because you were so stupid. Jacob Zuma must go to jail. And I think half of ANCNEC, at least half, also belongs in jail. Well, anyway, there are more reasons on why I feel this way and uh, general feelings of discontent and perhaps a few rays of hope.
0: i are listening to the voice of Ahlul Sunnah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Welcome to Murka Sahaba Online Radio. I'm your host Alamine Templeton, and this is the Drive Time Show. Mm, well, just before the break, there we were speaking about uh, South Africa's uh, nuclear family economy and uh, the the silver lining to Jacob Zuma's corruption. The silver lining to Jacob Zuma's corruption is that at least Jacob Zuma did recognize that this economy and the society that uh, was built by apartheid is an abomination. At least he recognized that. You know, many of us are more content to like, you know, just try and get by in life and get through life and, you know, manage as best we can inside the system. Well, Jacob Zuma, I suppose, viewed himself as a revolutionary. And he was determined to overthrow the system. He didn't have the uh, intellectual capacity uh, maybe to analyze it properly. But, you know, if he had remained true to his rural roots and his rural identity and his family identity and his clan identity, I know these things are important to Jacob Zuma. They are important to him. But why couldn't he see that therein lies the seeds of the new society that he and the ANC and all of them are always trying to rebuild? A society built on family, not on corporation. You know, the corporation, Korsatu, Anglo-American, the ANC, the DA, all of these artificial identities, they created to. Uh, hijack that sphere of society where human beings come together to organize on a mass basis in numbers. That sphere is supposed to be dominated by the clans, but it's not. Instead, it's dominated by, you know, Fresenius Kabi, that's dominated by the local soccer club, Kaiser Chiefs, Orlando Pirates, Hmm. It's dominated by, um, um, Medicare, health insurance, by Discovery Health. It's dominated by, um, the, the the South African Institute for International Affairs, you know. All of these, these, um, non-existent individuals, organizations that are given, um, the right of personality under our law, the right of locus standi to appear in court and defend its non-existent reputation, its right to property. Anglo-American has a right to property under law, although in reality, Anglo-American doesn't exist. You know, non-existent individuals take over that sphere where society is supposed to organize in numbers. Anywhere where that happens, the corporation, the corporate veil, the the, the the Western veil that hides corruption instead of modesty. Yeah, is pulled across society, like um, President Ramaphosa's face mask, pulled over our eyes instead of our mouth and nose. So, you know, Jacob Zuma should have realized that his clan, you know, but instead he's been told, no, you must think of tribalism as backward. Um, there needs to be a way where we can bring the clan, our organic family ties to their proper place in society, to be a means of organizing on, in numbers. That's what we need to do. For me, one of the easiest ways to do it would be to um, create a new type of company in South Africa, a new type of corporation, a corporation that is a family corporation where ownership is not transferable. Uh, It becomes a means of identifying you and your clan and... uh, Family companies need to be promoted in society and be given the same protection as the normal corporation. clan needs as much representation and state support in society. The extended family is entitled to as much state support as the nuclear family. Now, here in South Africa, the extended family society and its culture and its economy is recognized to an extent. It's an inevitability of simply the simple existence of all of these human beings in society in South Africa who still have strong clan um, identity. And so we have what we have in South Africa called traditional law. You actually have traditional courts that uh, uh, decide things according to um, clan and tradition. And we still have these courts here in South Africa, family courts, traditional courts. <laughs> well you know that uh, that needs to be expanded um you need to have uh family family uh, businesses family companies that are ranked according to how deeply they are integrated into the clan so for instance um and and uh, clan family companies must be given favorable access to government contracts before before any uh of the normal corporate sector that we know them today. They must be given primacy in all government contracts. So only, so Anglo-American and the, the normal, um, what we think of as a normal corporate sector, will only get a bite at the cherry after the clans have had a chance. And if the clans are unable to do this contract, well, then you can get a corporation that can come in and do it. So uh, you build up your your clan, your your family company hierarchy based on, like, say, uh, at the lowest level, two brothers decide that they're going to work together. They form a, a a a tier one family company, and they're entitled to grass cutting um, contracts in their neighbourhood. They are entitled to, you know, painting the street signs or repairing the roads in their neighbourhood. And uh, if there's maybe somewhere, there's a father and a son working together, because that shows intergenerational interconnection, that father and son should get those contracts before the, the two brothers working together. But now say you have a nephew and an uncle working together. Um, two nephews and an uncle, or two nephews and their father and their uncle working together, then that's a third tier of a family company, and they will be able to get bigger contracts. And the more integrated the family company is, the more members of the clan that it employs uh, the, the the higher up the hierarchy it goes and the, the, the bigger contracts it's able to qualify for. So eventually you should, uh, all of the big government contracts, with it's defense contracts, water supply, ESCOM, all of those should be taken over by the clans. That's what needs to happen in South Africa. That is one of the easiest ways we can wipe out this racist um, legacy that we insist on dragging around us like a dead corpse, stinking up our present reality. We need to let go of that racism. We need to let go of that society where we are splintered into individuals and we desperately start uh, striking out for some kind of um, basis for interaction with all of the other strangers we mix in with every day. And then you start saying, okay, well, what a basis of commonality. We all got the same skin color. We'll all hang out together. That's how racism starts. That's where it all comes from. A whole bunch of strangers trying to find commonality with each other because they've broken their family ties broken their family ties like Nabiya Karim warned us again over and over and over again and in the early days in Makkah when Nabiya Karim was asked by the Quraysh why have you come over with this message what are you coming for the first thing that Nabiya Karim would say is I've come to build family ties and when Nabiya Karim said I've come to build family ties and he's, he's speaking to the tribal elders of the Quraysh like Abu Sufyan and Abu Jal and all of those guys. Hmm? He would mean when he when he said family, what did he mean by family? Did he did did he mean that uh my father and my mother, who have both passed away, have comfortable family ties with him? No. Did he mean have comfortable family ties with my brothers and sisters? He didn't have any brothers and sisters. So when Nabir karim as an orphan, spoke about family ties, what did he mean by family when he was addressing the tribal elders? He meant extended family. He meant clan. That was what family was. That's what family is. There isn't any other family. That little nuclear family, uh-uh. that's not what family is. That's just a piece of a family. Nuclear family isn't family. Nuclear family is just one little brick and a house. That house is the family. The clan. Nabiya Karim would address the clan elders. He wouldn't go and say, uh, tell the father, no, um, you must try and manage your finances like this so you and your house and you build up your wall around your house. And No. Clan. It was clan. Nabiya Karim wa was specifically addressing clan and extended family ties. He knew that that was the importance. And that was the means that Nabi Wasallam used to build his society. That was how what Nabi Karim, the best of humanity, used to build his society. And when he spoke about the state, the state was this, this abomination that is the society that we have today. So, you know, hats off to Jacob Zuma and all his corruption. At least one little grain of truth was still shining very brightly in the midst of Jacob Zuma's ill-conceived presidency. And that was that this economy and society that we have, this nuclear family society, is an abomination. It is this nuclear family society that builds class. Class is only formed when we break our family ties and we go and join our whole sea of individuals who've got no commonality between them. Hmm? That's how we need to build our society with clan. So many Muslim businesses here in South Africa are built entirely on family. Alhamdulillah And may Allah Ta'ala strengthen those those family businesses And keep those families together And may Allah Ta'ala find some way to encourage All of those nuclearized families Families that have broken up in all kinds of different things, you know Clans have always been broken up You know, war comes along Famine comes along uh, Economic devastation comes along Drought comes along, you know all kinds of things are happening all the time that are just dis- breaking up society. Allah Tala is doing it all the time to challenge us, to see, are we going to remain true to our organic identity and rebuild our family ties after disruption? You know, And when your family ties are strong, it doesn't matter what kind of disruption happens. It never, never, never breaks the family. It's amazing how strong extended family ties are. You know, I watch the drug dealers in my neighborhood there's an example of what family can do, you know. The drug dealers, they live in their houses. I've got one house right next door to me. I've got another crack house. It's like, you know, I can throw a stone. I can hit the other crack house. Um, you know, the main, the, the, the main, the Naysia's main crack houses, Chacha cha and Charmains. And uh, you watch the police come along and try and break up these houses. Hey, you know, They come along and they they catch one or two of them uh, with drugs on them and they arrest them and they put them into jail. And then the brother and the son take over and uh, they continue doing the business. And then the brother and the son are arrested and then the cousin and the other brother come along and they start doing it. And then by the time they're arrested, the father and the original son are released from jail and then they're back in it. you know, the the, the 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 only way that uh, the 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 police can end um, their business is they either persuade them to take up something else, or by killing them all, by wiping them out. Because uh, you know, uh, I, I look at those drug families and I wonder, you know, Allah Ta'ala allows them to continue doing their business. Could it be that Allah Allah is pleased with them because at least you know through all of that. Through all of the dirt and disgusting stuff that they um, that they sell, and the, the consequences of it, the poverty and the, the intergenerational um, unemployment and um, substance abuse, even through all of that, they're still maintaining their family ties. They still stick together. And uh, no matter what the police does, no matter what the government does, the full force of everything brought against them. Boom. And the next morning they're there like a new, brightly popped out mushroom from the ground. One another example of our strong clan can be, just look what the Guptas did to South Africa. They did it as a family. Look what the Guptas did to South Africa. Huh? How many? 10, 12 individuals. Took out a whole country. Hmm? Not so. 50 million people, 50 million, 50 million, nuclear family society people versus one clan. And the clan took them out. And how many Guptas are in jail right now? None. Hmm? See what clan can do. It's a pity Jacob Zuma didn't learn some good, good, good lessons from the Guptas. The Guptas showed us what a clan can do. Uh, Yeah, it's funny, you know, the lessons that life can can throw to us if you look at it like just a little bit differently. You know, it's uh, it's easy to condemn the drug dealer, but, uh, you know, there are lessons that can be learned there. There's kheir in everything. Look at the Guptas. Hundreds of billions of rands ripped out of our economy. Hmm? Millions of people are going hungry as a result of what they did. I'm not uh, defending anything what they did in any way whatsoever. I'd like to see them all in jail. In fact, if they put up in front of a firing squad, I might be willing to pick up a rifle and go help out. But the fact of the matter is that their story has got some really um, um, what kind of what kind of lesson is it? It's like a it's a, a a lesson in absolutes, you know. This is what clan can do. And look at South Africa. Look at how clan still remains so important in South Africa. Really, if there is an unutilized resource in this country, it is our family ties. South Africa still has very strong clan identity among the majority of our population. And it's not something that is only with the black African population. Look at the Indian population, whether it's Muslim or Hindu. Hmm? Family, 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 without a doubt. Alhamdulillah. May Allah Ta'ala make it a means of um, rich beneficiation for our country, our family ties. If we are going to rebuild our South Africa, if we are going to build a society that isn't hijacked by the World Bank and the IMF and Bill Gates and the United Nations, then we're going to do it by re-establishing our family ties. Nothing else is going to save us. Nothing else. Not only that, but the fantastic thing about family ties is they're free. You know? You don't have to spend a whole lot of money to establish those family ties. Those family ties can be brought to life in an instant. Just bring in that new family corporation and start uh, giving families access to the economy. I'm going to continue this. I know it's a, it's a bit of a long tirade, but these are things that, like, you know, on top of my mind all the time when I'm looking at a society, when I'm looking at, uh, you know, these organizations. But the United Nations told us to do it. Hmm. Anyway, you know, I'll be bringing more about this, more about the, uh, the, uh, the nuclear family culture and the identity that's built up. How does it, how does it breed racism? That's where racism comes from. All of those individuals in society trying to find a commonality. And the obvious thing is the skin color. And we warned us against it. Allah has made us of different colors for no other reason that we may know each other. No other reason. No other reason. You know? Pigmentation in your skin gives you protection against skin cancer. That's the only use for skin color, as far as I can tell. Okay, we're going to have to go for a quick commercial break. When we get back, we'll be looking at uh, culture, extended family, nuclear family, and how it can take us forward.
0: You are to Marqueous
1: Marqueous Sohaba, the voice of Ahlul Sunnah wal uh, salamu alaykum wa wa barakatuh. Welcome to Marcus Ababa Online Radio. This is the Time Show, brought to you by me, your host, Alameen Templeton, and a man in the sound booth today, Lucky Chabalala. Yeah, well, there he is. Salute to the nation, salute to the nation. Nuclear society, nuclear society, nuclear society culture. You know, if you want to get uh, a really good insight into it, is a book by J.D. Salinger called The Catcher in the Rye. Written uh, at the turn, uh, um, I, I think he wrote it just before World War II. He actually wrote it during World War II, while he was a soldier uh, in World War II. He was busy writing. He started writing it beforehand and finished it um, in 1945 and then started uh, serializing it. which so eventually published in a book. Uh, it's uh, seen as one of the best novels ever written in the 20th century uh, And basically it's uh, a, it was originally intended for adults But it's uh, very often very popular among teenagers For its themes of angst and alienation And it's a major critique on the superficiality in a, a nuclear society he, he, he doesn't look at it as a nuclear society He just sees society I suppose much as I would have seen as a young boy myself you just kind of like, see, this is your reality. You don't actually know um, what other alternatives are out there. Uh, Around about one million copies of the book are sold every year, probably because teachers put it on their, um, you know, it's like Shakespeare. You know, Shakespeare is like one of the most published, uh, um, well, I used to argue when I was at school. Yeah, the only reason Shakespeare is like one of the most published authors in the world is because schools keep on insisting that children have to read them. (laughs) And that's true. And it's probably maybe the same goes for with the catch and the rye. Um, And and basically, uh, J.D. Salinger concludes his book by saying that, uh, you know, these kids, these innocent kids are coming out into uh, an insincere society, a superficial society that cares nothing for them. And they're so trusting, and they're rushing out there, you know, to to like be their best that they can be. They want to be good people. They want to have joy and happiness in their lives, and they are rushing out there in society. And he says, I, I wish I wish I could be a catcher in the rye, running about and catching them before they run over the cliff. I wish I could be a catcher in the rye. Because, you know, they are, they in in this nuclear family society, there are many other catches in the rye. Mm. Uh, the employment agencies go around to the universities to get all the clever people to come and work on, like, you know, De Beers or Anglo-American or, you know, I got taken by Old Mutual. Oh, no, 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 they want me here for an internship program. Wow, son, that's fantastic. Oh, no, they're going to take me to London. Wow, really? Oh, that's fantastic. Mm, yeah, you know, you're going to go over to London and within uh, 20 years time when you're in your old age home and your spouse has passed away you're going to be able to go and brag to the other people in the old age home that in December my, my son is going, be, 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 um, going to be flying me out to London he's going to be flying me out to London you know and for two weeks you're going to be in London and you're going to be with your son and your son is going to take you around to all of the places and uh, you're going to arrive home. And then you're going to tell people all about your holiday with your son for the rest of the year. Well, you around about halfway through the year, you know, then you've run out of people. Well, actually, you've run out of people to tell for the third time about your holiday. And that is the, the full extent of your interaction with your family ties. Well done. You sent your kid off to go work for Anglo-American. Mm, good. Now he's in Angola and he's busy um, destroying an ecosystem that has been in existence for 5,000 years, all in the hopes of getting a little bit of tanzanite or something out of the ground. Yes, there are plenty of other catchers in the rye, very evil catchers in the rye. And uh, that brings me to an article that I really wanted to speak about today, and that is Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein, yes, uh, the uh, the uh, the pump for the one percent, and the pump for apartheid Israel. Uh, he uh, he specialized. He is basically a manager of uh, of prostitutes and child victims, a paedophile. This is one of the worst kind of catches in the rye that are out there in society. Uh, well in, well, in actual fact, you know um, he was the secondary catcher. He had a primary catcher whose name was giesland Maxwell. Gisland Maxwell was his finder. She would go out into society and find um, you know, young girls who have run away from home, young girls from broken homes, young girls who, uh, who, you know, are having a problem with their boyfriends, uh, young girls who find themselves in bars and other places like that. And uh, she would uh, befriend them and groom them and uh, get them just nice and ready so she could take them off to the UK where... Um, uh, they could be the sex toys for Prince Andrew or something like that. So anyway, here's, here's an article about one of those catchers in the society ready to strain our children out of their family ties and to take them off to a future uncertain. This is an article from Information House today. It's by Nat Naham. It says dead pedophile Jeffrey Epstein's former girlfriend and alleged partner in crime was arrested on Thursday morning in New Hampshire. Now we know what now we know why. According to the indictment out of the Southern District of New York, Gisela Maxwell faces six federal charges related to the sexual exploitation of and abuse of, of the multiple minor girls by Jeffrey Epstein. The indictment was signed by Acting U.S. Attorney General Audrey Strauss, Jeffrey Berman's replacement in the Southern District of New York. Under Berman's leadership in July 2019, the 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 the, the District of New York hit Epstein with sex trafficking charges. Epstein died apparently by suicide in August 3rd, 2019. Well, you know they say it's suicide, but it looks more likely it was murder. He was under suicide watch. There was a camera on him 24 hours a day. There were two secure guards two guards on his cell to watch his cell and uh, on the night that he ended that he was murdered probably murdered uh, the one security guard fell asleep the other security guard went to the toilet and the security camera all broke down at exactly the same time just at that moment when jeffrey epstein apparently decided to place a shoelace around his neck and died Yes. Yeah. You now no, we're supposed to believe that story. Of course, Jeffrey Jeffrey Epstein has been linked. There's uh, already one girl uh, saying that Ehud Barak, the former prime minister of Nazi Israel, and he was he was also using a honey trap to to trap people so that apartheid Israel could uh, could blackmail them. Now uh, Jeffrey Epstein. One of the nastiest kind of like individuals that you would typically find around a regime like um like apartheid Israel or like you know the the, the Clintons dare we say the Windsors mm, yeah the Windsors. The indictment indictment reads like this. Maxwell was indicted on the following charges. Two counts of conspiracy to entice minors to travel to engage in illegal sex acts. Conspiracy to to transport minors with intent to engage in criminal sexual activity. Transportation of a minor with intent to engage in criminal sexual activity. And two counts of perjury. The charges focus on the years 1994 to 1997. According to federal prosecutors, Maxwell assisted, facilitated, and contributed to Jeffrey Epstein's abuse by, among other things, helping Epstein to recruit, groom, and ultimately abuse victims known to Maxwell and Epstein. The victims were people Epstein and Maxwell knew uh, who were minors and were as young as 14 years old. Maxwell allegedly enticed minors to travel to Epstein's palatial residences in various U.S. states with the knowledge that these minors would be sexually abused. During the aforementioned span of years in the 90s, Maxwell and Epstein were in an intimate relationship. Epstein paid Maxwell to manage the very properties she allegedly enticed minors to visit. The indictment included the image of Epstein and Maxwell that you see at the top of the story. Um, well, you can't see it at the top of the story, but it's, with, um, it's been on the news with old um, Prince Andrew. Um, I don't know, now I've gone lost my space. Uh, Three, how Maxwell allegedly groomed members for sexual abuse. The indictment repeated a lot of detail that match, match what has already been alleged or reported about Maxwell and Epstein's grooming methods. For instance, it, w- it was alleged that Maxwell would try to befriend would-be victims by asking them about their lives, their school, and their families. This opened the door to serial manipulation of vulnerable young girls. According to the indictment, once a so-called friendly rapport was established, discussions about the victim's childhood turns into discussions about sex, discussions about sex turned into sexual abuse. Having, Having developed a rapport with the victim, Maxwell would try to normalize sexual abuse for a minor victim by, among other things, discussing sexual topics, undressing in front of the victim, being present when a minor victim was undressed, or being present for sex acts between the minor victim of Epstein. Prosecutors allege that Maxwell's uh, vic- criminal voyeurism helped put the victims at ease because an adult woman was present as Epstein sexually abused the victims, having established this rapport per the indictment, Maxwell, in other instances encouraged minor victims to provide massages to Epstein, including sexualized massages during which the minor would be fully or partially nude. Many of these resulted in Epstein sexually abusing the minor victims. The solidities say that money and opportunity were prominent features of Maxwell's grooming tactics. He encouraged, uh, she encouraged certain victims to accept uh, Epstein's assistance and as a result were made to feel indebted to both Epstein and Maxwell. Through this process, Maxwell and Epstein enticed victims to engage in activity with Epstein, which in some instances also included Maxwell's participation. Prosecutors said Maxwell knew Epstein was attracted to young girls and recruited them knowing that they would be abused. What's more, authorities say Maxwell directed victims to touch Epstein and the other things, I'm not going to read that. Where Maxwell enticed victims to travel according to the indictment, Maxwell groomed and enticed the victims to travel to Epstein's Manhattan townhouse, his mansion in Palm Beach, Florida, and his ranch in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Epstein's illicit activities at these locations were well documented, but the indictment also focuses on his residence in London. Minor victim 1, 2, and 3 were each minors when Maxwell first came into contact with them. Maxwell was aware of the age, uh, according to the indictment. Uh, one of them was 14 years old. Uh, Maxwell is accused of a grooming a minor 1 by taking her shopping and to the movies and inquiring about the child's family and school life. Illicit sexual abuse soon followed across the Atlantic and in two states. Some of these are just, like, too disgusting. I can't actually read them on air. Um, took them, threw them all around. The prosecutor said on two occasions, the Maxwell lied under oath during depositions. Um... On uh, around April 22, 2016, she said, I don't know what you're talking about when asked if Epstein had a scheme to recruit young girls for sexual massages. Maxwell also said that she wasn't aware that she interacted as Epstein, at Epstein's properties with anyone who was a minor, except for the plaintiff in the civil case who was 17 at the time. Maxwell said she did not recall sex toys being present at his Palm Beach home. She, uh, um, there's some of these admissions anyway, yeah. A Really, really a disgusting and a, a, a dirty story. A really, really dirty story. Join in the royal family of Britain and prime ministers of apartheid Israel, of um, of uh, honey traps by Mossad. Uh, and the Clintons were, of course, also involved. Yes, Clintons were regular visitors to um, Epstein's island. Hmm. And, and and there's still some people who who hope that um, Hillary Clinton is going to make it to the presidency one day. Oh, it can turn your stomach, can't you? But this is this is the society that we are building every single day. You know, those young girls are only out there because of weak family ties. Okay, well let's turn to some other news for the uh, remainder of the show. Old Mutual has named acting Chief Executive Officer Ian Williamson as the African insurer's permanent head after winning its legal battle against Peter Moyo, who tried to get the chief executive job back following his dismissal. And it sounded to me that he was, in actual fact. Uh, I think he had a very good complaint to make against... Um, um, Master, Master Rothschild, Trevor Manuel. Um, he's here as a, he's the, um, the houseboy for, uh, Baron Rothschild in London. Uh, Trevor Manuel is the houseboy. Yeah. He's the houseboy here in South Africa. He's also the chairman of, uh, Old Mutual. And, um, well, you know, Trevor liked to get the deals done that, uh, were sweet for him and try to get Rothschild International as the, um, as the uh, consultant for for the breakup um, of of old mutual into various subsidiaries, as we you know today, uh, you know, obvious conflicts of interest. Peter Moyer stood up against that, and it turned out that the entire uh, old mutual board actually preferred the corruption of uh, Baron Rothschilds and uh, Trevor Manuel, and so they 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 chucked the, the Peter Moyer out, and now the courts have said that that's fine. Basically, that's where we are. Uh, the courts have um, given a thumbs up to corrupt a board at Old Mutual. Uh, you know, as long as Mr Rothschild remains at the at the head of Old Mutual, I guess. Well, I guess you can't really tell uh, a Lord uh, Lord Rothschild's houseboy you know, to 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 scupper, to get out. Come on, For a sec. You can't say that. You can't say that to Lord Rothschild's houseboy. Uh, Mm. So, well, it seems like old mutual recognises, you know, the lay of the land. Its primary listing is in London, after all. And uh, they now, um, well, they got rid of that darkie who dared to stand up uh, for honesty. And now they must be hunkering down nice and comfortably. Yes, now we've got uh, Ian Williamson. He's now heading up this particular pile. Uh, Williamson's appointment follows a comprehensive global search, apparently. We looked around our boardroom and uh, that was it. Uh, A comprehensive global search. And we found him right here. He'd been sitting here all the time. They actually had spent almost three decades at Old Mutual, including managing director of the retail affluent division, the finance director of his emerging markets business and chief operating officer of the group. The High Court in Johannesburg in January upheld an appeal by the 175-year-old insurer against the judgment delivered in July last year to temporarily reinstate Moyo, who was first suspended two months earlier before being fired. Old Mutual's board cited a material breakdown in trust and confidence over an alleged conflict of interest, which Moyo denies. Old Mutual said on May 28th that first-half profits probably fell at least 20% after lockdowns to curb the coronavirus hindered its ability to distribute its products. Many of all mutuals advisors and branch consultants weren't able to see customers during April and May when most of South Africa's economy was shuttered by restrictions. The appointment provides much-needed certainty for investors, said Warwick Bam, head of research at Avior Capital Markets. Ian provides Old Mutual. Well Ian, you know, it's not Mr. Williamson or something. It's Ian, my good buddy, Ian. Ian provides Old Mutual with stability and continuity of knowledge, which are invaluable in times of extreme change and makes major change over Peter, he said. No, he didn't say that. I just added that on. Old Mutual shares paid an earlier decline of as much as 2.8% to trade, 1.3% down. down today. The stock has dropped 36% this year, the worst performer in the five-member South African insurers index after Liberty Holdings. Well, vehicle sales are very often seen as a litmus test to how well the economy is doing. Uh, And uh, let's go and have a look and see how vehicle sales are doing right now. Oh, dear. Well, you know, we did say yesterday that according to the Reserve Bank, South Africa's economy has shrunk by a third during lockdown. And vehicle sales show a 30.7% year-on-year drop. So that's kind of like in line with the Reserve Bank's estimate. Uh, A decline of 14,000 units to 31,867. June is the first full month of sales since the countrywide lockdown was implemented in late March to curb the coronavirus outbreak. An estimated 29,100 units, or 91.3%, represented dealer sales. 4.6% of sales went to government, 3.7% to industry corporate fleets, and an estimated 0.4% to the vehicle rental industry, according to NAMSA, the National Association of Automobile Manufacturers. Passenger car sales were counted at 19,200. Light commercial vehicles, 10,100. And heavy trucks, 1,800. New passenger or car sales registered a substantial decline of thirty three point four percent. So it's kind of like on the on the button. Uh, Regarding the Reserve Bank's forecast yesterday, Uh, a substantial decline uh, in new passenger car sales uh, fell 33.4% to 19,200 compared to 28,900 in June last year. The answer cites the car rental industry's lack of representation due to the lockdown restrictions imposed on the tourism sector. Uh, the National Treasury expects the economy to shrink by 7.2% this year, which NANSA suggests will keep the demand for new vehicles under severe pressure. Middle-class disposable income was already under huge strain prior to the national lockdown, uh, which has significantly exacerbated the already weak macroeconomic climate in the country, Namsa said. Um, all right, well, there you go. Uh, Now, you know, yesterday, uh, Kimi Makwetu, the Auditor General of South Africa, held a press conference regarding his audit of uh, local municipalities, and it was a very dismal tale, I must say. And uh, looking at the televised. broadcast of, of his press conference it was sure you know it looked as though um he'd been given two posters and told to hold it uh, in the corridor outside the toilets in the ANC headquarters i mean it, it, it was a very shabby affair and maybe that kind of like underlines just how important uh, the ruling party views auditing and accounting it's two worst enemies um According to the Auditor General, shocking financial mismanagement continued at many South African municipalities in the past year. Uh, Makweti's report was entitled, Not Much to Go Around, Yet Not the Right Hands at the Till. And it shows enormous, unauthorized, irregular, fruitless and wasteful expenditure as well as inaccurate and lackluster revenue collection. Many municipalities are crippled by debt and unable to pay for water and electricity. Only 8% of municipalities received a clean audit and on average they took 180 days to pay creditors. Irregular expenditure exceeded 32 billion rands, up from 24 billion rands in the previous year. Well, you know, as long as uh, the ANC NEC refuses to take any action against its uh, fellow members, uh, then it's only going to continue and get worse. This is this is this is this is Cyril Ramaphosa's ANC. This is Cyril Ramaphosa's ANC. Uh, here's a, here's a measurement of Cyril Ramaphosa's uh, ANC. Beng Municipal money was used to pay for clothes and AMC cookware. The municipality municipality centered on Brits lost 31.5 million rand in the VBS bank collapse. The municipal manager and chief financial officer both resigned, but no further action has been taken. Debit orders against the municipality's bank account were used to pay accounts of private individuals for items such as clothing, DSDV and AMC cookware. Despite reporting this to the Municipal Public Accounts Committee as well, no investigation or action has been taken to stop these transactions or to recover the money from the individuals and safeguard the municipality from con- continuing to incur financial losses. M- Metsi Maholo, civil servants classified as indigent. Situated in Sasselburg, the council comprised of various political parties which, make, uh, the, which made the functioning of the council and decision-making difficult, says the Attorney General. The council could decide on appointments which resulted in vacancies in all senior manager positions since 2017. Also, civil servants and individuals doing business with government are listed on the municipality's indigent register which means they're exempted from certain payments. Additionally, more than 2,600 dead people are also still included on the indigent register. In the previous year, the municipality also spent almost 22 million rand on the Oranjeville sports complex for the amount spent only a fence was visible during our site visit. 22 million rand to build a fence. Well, you know, you know it's, 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 it's quite funny, you know. It is, you know, it's quite funny. You can laugh at it. But it really is a tragedy. We reported some of these findings in prior years. The municipality's leadership did not take any action to address them. At the Fazile Dabi district, double disaster with financial statements, also situated in uh, Sasselberg with the Metzim Maholo as one of its administrative areas. The district's financial statements were prepared by two different consulting firms. The first consultants were paid 300,000 rand to prepare the statements, but the municipal manager rejected them, citing poor quality. However, no action was taken by the municipality to ask the consultants to re-perform the work or to recover the funds paid to them. The Attorney General found that the second set of consultants were paid 1.6 million rand for the preparation of a completely new set of statements. Based on our findings on the financial statements, it is clear that the second firm of consultants did not apply due care when preparing them. No action was taken against the officials for poor performance. Moreover, no action was taken against the second consultants for the poor delivery that resulted in the regression of the ordered outcome dit la Million spent on a shoddy road. Situated in Bethlehem, the municipality spent 1.5 million Rand more on a new tiled road than budgeted, and the project was also completed six months late. When management inspected the road immediately after completion, they identified cracks and patches as well as the absence of stormwater channels in critical sections. This led to the recording of an impairment of 3.5 million Rand in the financial statements. No consequences have been implemented against the contractor or the official who allowed the project to be completed. The municipality also paid, and that officially is the municipal manager, by the way. He's the guy that signs of all this stuff. The municipality also paid a contractor 9.5 million Rand for the construction of the Clarence Water Treatment Works. However, when we visited the site, we found that no work had been done. 9.5 million rand for doing nothing. Then we identified that 3 million rand had been paid for the project's designs, and 6.5 million rand had been used by the contractor to purchase the material for the project, but this was stored at his own premises. <clears throat> yes. Uh, Motaga. A sewage contaminates drinking water. The municipality did not undertake the necessary repairs and maintenance of the current start wastewater treatment works, resulting in the collapse of a newly activated sludge plant, flooding the old biological plant with raw sewage. Uh, this sewage was pumped into the False River, a tributary of the Vaal, the town's main source of drinking water. The spillage of sewage above the drinking water extraction point resulted in unnecessary high purification costs for the municipality. Additionally, the municipality lacked skilled and experience personnel to ensure the wastewater plants' continual maintenance and repairs. Due to the lack of preventative controls, the municipality spent a lot of money to remove the sewage from the river, which could have been avoided. No action was taken by the Council against the officials responsible for these failures. NALA, no internal audit for five years. The internal order that the municipality situated in Witteville has not produced any reports for five years, despite paying salaries of 800,000 Rand a year. This was because the head of internal order did not have the relevant qualifications and skills. Mopani District suspects spending of drought relief money. The district received 85 million rand in drought relief in March 2019 to establish boreholes in drought-stricken areas. Almost 60 million rand was spent by June last year. However, the AG found evidence of duplicate payments, payments made without evidence that work had been done, and money paid for water provided through water tankers instead of being used on boreholes. Oh, boy. Okay. We're running out of time now. We're running out of time. This is a litany that continues. Oh, well. Um, I'm glad. Don't pay taxes. Don't pay your taxes. Don't. Don't pay your taxes. Don't pay your UIF. You pay your UIF and you're going to lock down. They're not going to give you UIF. Yep. Okay, well, Jazakamala, we're gonna have to go for a uh, quick commercial break. Uh, we'll come back, we'll make our farewells, and then we're gonna have to go for the Azan for Durban, inshallah. WhatsApp us on 084 786 3132.
0: अल्लाहुम्मा तवल्ली तनना 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 आज है तेरे में है तेरे में بل الله بللرم بل الله بللرم بل الله بللرم haram allah kalam kalam allah kalam allah 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 guna ho mai ye majhe paar rahe tu dohi paar rahe tu ye mera dharm allah 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 man allah tere darbar mein hum hazir hain tere darbar mein hum allah 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 Uh,
1: salam alaikum wa wabarakatuh mm, and so it comes towards the end of another day end of another week yeah, we've got a few more minutes left of um, of us um, here in Gauteng. Make the most of it. Now is the time to beg Allah Tyler for forgiveness, to beg him for his favors, to thank him for all that he has provided us. And we can never, ever, ever, ever be thankful enough. Remember that story about the Jewish saint uh, who was uh, put on an island for like 500 years. And in that time, he worshipped Allah constantly, day and night. He was even given a, a tree and a, and a spring, a bit like Zamzam, uh, give for shade and the, the water. He didn't need to eat, he would just drink the water and get all the nourishment necessary from it. And so he was able to en- engage in worship of Allah for 500 years. And then when he was taken up for judgment, uh, Ta'ala said, uh, "Oh, o my slave, 500 years of accepted ibadah. Mm. By my mercy, enter Jannah." And uh, so um, the saint was quite surprised because of 500 years of accepted ibadah, and isn't that enough to get him to heaven? So uh, he he asked if he could be judged again, you know, just on the on the basis of his good deeds. So Ta'ala said, "Okay." And bring the scales. 500 years have accepted a bar in the one pan and then Allah Ta'ala told the angels bring the gift of eyesight and the gift of eyesight was thrown into the other pan and 500 years of a bar there wasn't enough even to thank Allah Ta'ala for our eyesight. Mm. So we never can thank Allah Ta'ala enough for the bounties and the mercies that He bestows on us. Oh, Oh, oh Allah, Ya Allah, Oh Allah, do not make us among the ingrates or those who forget. Oh Allah, do not make us among those who forget. And bless our family ties. And bless our family ties. Oh Allah. Have mercy on the Ummah of Nabi Karim salallahu wa sallam, and bless our country, Himzansi. Oh Allah, bless this country. We thank you for the rains that you've given us so far this year. We've had really beautiful rains. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Um, Oh Allah, oh Allah, bless us, bless us throughout this week and bless our family ties and bless our homes and keep us all safe. Oh Allah, repair our family ties and reestablish relations with our family members who we have not seen for a long time. Oh Allah, do not make us among those who cause dissension and difficulties in our homes. Oh Allah, make us, make us the peacemakers. Oh Allah, make us people who are just. People who love truth, Ya Rahman, do not let uh, the things of this world become uppermost in our minds. Keep always, always the the Akhirah foremost in front of us. Ya Allah, forgive us for our sins, and guide us to the best of deeds and morals, as none can guide except thee, and save us from bad deeds, as none can save us from what is bad except thee. O Allah, we seek refuge in thee from the feebleness of old age we ask you to bless us with thy love and the love of those who love thee, and love for every action that will bring us closer to thee. O Allah, bless our hearing, our sight, and our faculties, for as long as thou dost grant us life. And let it be the last to be taken from us. Avenge us against those who have wronged us. And help us against our enemies. And let no calamity befall our dean. And let not worldly affairs be our greatest concern, all about which we know. And let not those who have no fear of thee and who have no mercy rule over us. O O Allah, we ask for a mercy from Thee, whereby Thou shalt guide our hearts, settle our affairs and remove our worries, protect us from what is unseen to us, make our faces radiant and purify our deeds, inspire us with Thy wisdom, avert calamities from us and protect us from every evil. O Allah, we make du'a that you protect us, our loved ones, and the entire ummah from the evil effects of this coronavirus and grant us increase in the good. O Allah and I make dua on behalf of all of the listeners out there that whatever business activity they get up to today is profitable and above all, halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.